Hey everyone. So today's podcast is with Dr. Lara Salier, who's a very good colleague and friend of mine who also practices functional medicine in the Midwest. Why I really wanted to do this interview, we're not really talking about medical issues and medical conditions today, but you will realize that no matter whether you are a physician, a lawyer, a patient, we all are human beings. We have a journey that we make. And sometimes even physicians, and yes, physicians too, get stuck and need some help. They need to actually look back and see what is important to them, what is happening to their health, what is happening to their families, what is happening to the very career that they chose, that connection with the patient. Does that bring them joy? Is that the passion of their life? And this conversation will touch on all of those points, but above all, one of the reasons I did this interview with Lara once again is to let you know that she's written a book. It's called Right Brain Rescue, and it's both for physicians and patients alike. It's going to be phenomenal just knowing Lara and all the little um, releases she's done on her book. I know it's going to be phenomenal, but those pearls when you actually look at it you'll realize we're all one and the same it doesn't matter who you are how big you are how small you think you are we're all one and the same our problems are the same we are all human so go ahead and listen to this podcast let me know your thoughts and as always subscribe to our youtube channel share this with someone whom you believe will benefit from it we'll see you soon Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm Dr. Shalom, your host of this podcast, Women Wired for Wellness. Today, I'm going to have a different kind of interview. I am absolutely excited to have my friend and colleague, Dr. Lara Salia. Now, who is Dr. Lara Salia? Let me do this. Usually, I introduce based on whatever I know about the person, but I'm going to read out her introduction, and then I'll give you my little piece on how I know Lara. She's an award-winning small-town family physician who strategically resigned from her employed position in 2016 to open a holistic private practice in functional medicine. She believes a patient's health is directly proportional. I want you guys to listen to this. A patient's health is directly proportional to their physician's teaching ability. It's not about the treatment ability, but the teaching ability. Driven by a passion to impart sustainable, integrative health to the masses, she leverages technology to build a cohesive tribe of wellness in her community by hosting innovative group medical visits, online health education, as well as traditional individual services. So before I get into what we're going to talk about today, let me tell you how I know Lara and how we all in the physician community love Lara. She is just amazingly a creative person and she just brings so much joy in any group that she's a part of and she's very giving too so i really want you to listen to this interview 
very carefully because there will be so many pearls and so many aha moments that you're going to get out of this. What we're doing this interview is first to understand her journey, but above all, she's written a book, which I think is going to be mind-blowing. I haven't read it, but I'm hoping to when she releases it. It's called Right Brain Rescue. And you can actually go down in our podcast and look at my very first interview with her when she launched her program called Right Brain Rescue. It's a physician's journey from burnout to bliss. And it reveals the creative moose in all of us. And I don't know what that is. I'm going to learn that from Lara today. So welcome, Lara. Thank you so much for actually being a part of our podcast once again. Thank you so much, dear Nisha. You are, you are amazing. And everything that you do, I love following you on the interwebs as well. You're a, a powerful, fierce force helping women understand, you know, different underlying root causes of their symptoms. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. So let's get going. Let's talk about what do we want to talk about first? We could probably talk about a ton of things. So you Yeah, yeah. So let me let me look at one something that you mentioned in the bio you sent me, right? You said you're a burnt out family doctor, mom in rural Midwest, and you rediscovered dormant creativity. But what you really what really caught my attention is you're a granddaughter of a mortician. And that prepared you for the, um, the macabre or sense of humor and extravagant Halloween decorations. But you said, really, the other part that was important is the way you shifted and you decided, you know, life has to be more than just you showing up at work, seeing patients, care, getting a paycheck and doing what the system tells you to do for the patients. You had a near-death experience. Can we talk a little about that? Or is that like sure, a secret absolutely. in your book? No, okay. no, no. It's all, yeah, no, absolutely. It's all in the book. So, you know, you would think, I think a lot of what we wear on ourselves in our ego and how we perceive ourselves is, you know, our experiences in the world and growing up as a granddaughter of a mortician, um, I felt like I could handle pretty much anything. Nothing. I was very unflappable. I mean, I had a, a vivid imagination, but I'd seen dead bodies. I see that life is very finite and you don't have control over your death day. And so I had this unusual appreciation for life and going into medical school, I was driven to become that family physician that was a rural doctor that sewed up lacerations and, and set bone fractures in cats. And I did all of this and I did this for 15 years nearly. And in the beginning, I loved it. Yeah. And I kept feeling like, okay, when is it going to get easier? Because as a doctor, you know, you know, this is something that you wanted to do for a very young age. Most doctors are very heart centered. They've been wanting to plan this and it takes a lot of sacrifices, you know. So doing this, you have blinders on. You think, okay, after medical school, it'll get easier. After residency, it'll get easier. After five years, 10 years, I've got everything down. And it just felt like there was more being thrown on our laps. And it took a pause for me to realize with fresh eyes how my life was. And what I mean by a pause is we get used to the, the grind of every day, right? We have habits. We get used to just taking care of things, you know, having three children, a husband, a career, you know, you just get used to this. But when I had a near-death experience, and this was after just a routine surgery, it's all in the book, it's very fun to read. And I was med flighted and I came back to work after I was fixed and everything. I won't give all the fun details. I came back to work 
And I had a fresh view after being gone. And this is different than any maternity leave being gone. I, I felt like I really had a chance to reevaluate and look at the values that I had wanted. I wanted to really get to know my patients and serve them in a different way. I wanted to have autonomy and agency. And I looked at what was on my plate, literally in my clinic, and I had none of this. Um, I, I, you'll hear in the story, I talk about going to see patients after coming back and feeling just almost apathetic, like everything I would say wouldn't make a difference anyway, you know, um, that the problem of chronic disease burden is too big for a family physician to handle. And this is true. More people are dying of chronic disease. They're not living as long as their parents' generation. So here I was getting told like, fix it in 15 minutes. And I just felt like I was done. I was done with medicine. And for a while I was, I had my Google searches had things like cake decorating or sex ed teacher. I thought, well, how else can I use my skills? You know, what else can I do? And of course that made my teen's eyes roll, which was perfect, but I really didn't know. And so to burn up some more CME, and for those that don't know what CME is, it's you, you get money every year from a hospital to go to a conference to further your knowledge. And so I, I knew I was resigning. I knew I was done. I broke up with medicine. I said, I am done. And I decided at the whim, I heard of functional medicine. I attended a, a conference and then I was back. I could feel it. I felt my eyes sparkle. And I thought, this is where all of this is. This is true healing. This is knowledge and teaching. And this is an opportunity to live life how I wanted and get it right. And not that I, you know, I think my time in family medicine served a purpose. I was able to serve my community in that way. And it paid the bills for a while, but I was ready to take a leap and say, you know what? I want that agency and autonomy and to do medicine my own way. And functional medicine is exactly what I had been looking for all these years. So that was kind of what led me to open my own practice and start teaching my patients instead of telling. I like to teach and not tell. Absolutely. So let's go back to when you see autonomy and agency for a physician. Most patients don't realize that physicians don't have all the power. And they, you know, the common complaint that we hear as functional medical doctors is, my doctor just gives me a pill. Can you speak into what was that shift for you that, and, and I'm sure this, you know, you did, you did not do just functional medicine. You also opened up a completely different can of worms where, you, I wouldn't say can of worms, can of fun, yeah. basically where you had a creative side that you hadn't used during the years of your family practice, but then it opened up and you were able to do something completely different. So for patients who don't understand what it means to be a physician without any power to do anything different for their patients, speak a little more into that. I don't think people, patients understand that physicians sure. do not want to just not treat them. Um, first of all, it's the knowledge you know, functional medicine gave us a different knowledge that was already there in us, but we didn't know how to use it practically. I always tell people, we learn um, anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, and pathology and pharmacology. Medicine runs off pathology and pharmacology, but functional medicine runs off anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry. We get to ask those questions. What is happening with the physiology? So there's a little difference, but having said that, I'd like to have your take on what are patients missing and why should they actually look for a functional medical 
doctor or a practice, number one. Number two, how did you actually beginning to enjoy what you do open up this other aspect, the creative mindset and what is right brain rescue? So it's a lot of things you can unpack in that. Sure, let's unpack. Well, let's first talk about that very important question you raised of what does it feel like to be a family doctor? You know, there is a lot that goes through our minds and I'll let you crawl into a mind of what it felt like. I I described it very shortly in the book and what it feels like is you approach the room. First of all, everybody that goes to their family doctor, look in the doctor's exam room. There are no clocks on the wall because they don't want you to know how late they're running. They don't want you to know how short (laughs) your visit is. Um, there's no clocks and everything is very, uh, sterile. It's very, you know, we're here for a purpose. It's a short purpose. You can only have one or two complaints. There's no honoring what you're in that room for. So imagine a family doctor. This is what it feels like. You get their chart on the computer. You sit down, you practice typing quickly while looking in their eyes. If you can do that, You're trying to immediately ticker tape what diagnoses will get covered under their insurance. You're playing a game. You're basically playing this game of matching and wondering if that lab will actually get covered because it might not. And then the patient will be mad at you because they think it's your fault. And, you know, then you, you think, okay, what, you know, I have only four minutes left. I need to find a solution. And the only quick solution that you can fit in four minutes is a pill. And so you find yourself almost like possessed, just writing for metformin. And I remember that. And that's in my book. It was a a diabetic patient where I said, let's be honest, John, everything I say, you're not going to do. Here's your metformin. (laughs) I was right there knew I was not the kind of doctor that I knew I could be because I knew there were other solutions. And that's the hard part about being a family doctor. People think we are trying to just sell them another drug. And that's not the case at all. Many family doctors I speak that are not even in functional medicine are frustrated. They want to, they want to teach, they want to help patients learn and they just don't have time. They have 15 minutes and they're getting graded on how well their patients do. So now they've attacked like physicians saying, well, only 70% of your patients got their mammogram or, and it's just like teachers, you know, you can't, you can't hurt teachers if the the child comes to school hungry, you know, so it's all this really mismatched way of measuring how good a doctor is. So fast forward, when I read an article about functional medicine, I'll admit I was offended. I was like, what? These people find the root cause? Well, I'm a DO, I'm an osteopathic physician. We're all about holistic philosophy. I, I look for root cause. I was really offended. I thought, how is it that these, these people know more than what we do? And it's not knowing more. It's just looking through a different lens. And so when I went to that first conference, I admit I brought all my negative. I was ready to be like, this is stupid. This is not going to work. I just want to get out of this medicine altogether and do cake decorating. And on day one, I, my mind was blown when I saw that they just had a different way of approaching a problem. It's not anything new. This has been going on for 20 years and it's a biochemical way of looking at the body of just saying, okay, so let's take diabetes, you know, in allopathic regular Western medicine, we say, yes, you need to see a dietitian. Yes. You need to work on your diet. Yes. You should exercise all these things on their to-do list and, you know, meet these criteria. Here's metformin to start with. In functional medicine, it acknowledges the purpose of medicine is true. There's no, there's no animosity. There is a place for medicine. There's a place for pharmaceuticals and surgery. But functional medicine looks and says, okay, what 
is driving this? What genetics is driving this? What emotional burdens are raising your cortisol that make you have more sugar? What else is going? And they work at such a deep level that it fascinated me because it allowed me to be excited again about medicine and the inner workings of the body. So I really think people should have both. They should go to ifm.com. .org.com. I can't remember. .org. IFM.org. Enter their zip code. Look for a functional provider and see what they have to offer. Everyone's different. I tell all my patients and people that try to consult me. Every provider has their own toolkit. Some, yes. some come from like Western medicine like you and I. Others might come from other areas. And there is no one way of functional medicine, but we have our own flavor and our own unique way of serving our patients. And you find one that fits you. And use that alongside your traditional doctor because there is a purpose for screening tests. There is a purpose for detecting early cancers and helping your body in that way. So that's kind of my whole spiel. And, and I love what I do now because like you, I work with patients alongside their doctors and they get better. And the doctors are helpful or uh, thankful because you know, we're yeah. doing that teaching work for them that sustains their life. So it's an investment that pays dividends that are just priceless and it's going to change generations. So, yeah. Absolutely. And that's what I tell patients, right? When you're looking at wellness, that's a path, mm -hmm. just like disease is a path. Yes. Disease is like buying a $6,000 TV from Best Buy and paying $35 for the rest of your life. And the TV would be gone. And later it's going to be more expensive. Whereas investing in your wellness and education is something that initially it looks like an investment, but later on it pays dividends. And right. you said about, you know, they're dying earlier. Actually, they are dying longer, more than dying earlier, right? That journey to disease. And what I really liked about what you said right now is how much functional medicine is not just going off of gluten and taking supplements. And this is so important for people to understand. It's really digging to find out what is missing why is this body not healing and just like you when i went to the first day of functional medicine i remember thinking at the end of this day i'm going to get my refund because they said if i didn't like the program i could walk out <laughs> and it was amazing it was mind-blowing how much there is to our health and wellness so having said that and now that you've started the functional medical practice what really prompted you to start something like Right Brain Rescue and help other physicians? Because patients are suffering not because they want to, or it's a lot of it is because the doctors they go to are also suffering yeah. and they don't know how to solve this problem. So how do, your, how, how do you look at that and how have you opened up that platform for you know, physicians to have a different way of thinking, get out and actually help patients. And so patients also recognizing that their physician is happy with what they do. How, how do you help those yeah. physicians? Well, you know, speaking to the topic of burnout is a very prickly topic, right? Over 50% of physicians are rated as burned out. We have a high right. suicide rate. It's getting worse rather than better. So saying that one solution would fix burnout is, is idiotic. And I think everybody knows that. It's that taboo subject that nobody knows what to do with it, but they kind of want to learn about it. So that's where I use that as a platform 
to talk to institutions and hospitals and conferences and, and different physician colleges in keynote speaking. I talk about burnout. I talk about stress and how that impacts our bodies. Even in the first year of training for physicians, our telomeres shortened to the point that we age six years. And for those that don't know what telomeres are, they're like those plastic end caps on the ends of our shoelaces and they protect the DNA inside. So we're basically aging faster than a controlled yep. counterpart. And this is bad. So my whole vision is showing that physicians need to, and institutions training our young minds, our young medical students need to look deeper into how we manage our stress, how we can prevent burnout, prevent that telomere shortening, all the functional medicine bits in our DNA and in our, our cortisol and our inflammation, but also honoring creativity as really the healing part of our journey when we're more creative. And this is a flow state. This is a, a brainwave activation pattern that can be achieved with practice. When we allow our physicians to practice creativity, it bleeds over into normal tasks. It allows them to feel higher in well-being scores and happiness and lower stress. And it allows them to be better doctors when we help medical students create something and they fail in a, in a fun environment, that actually translates to more resiliency in their work. So there's a lot of studies out there showing that exercising your creativity is really the cornerstone of being a well-rounded whole person because you're connecting to things that are not tangible, like your intuition and you know your inner working of emotions. And so that's kind of where that right brain rescue kind of morphed. I wanted a boot camp of sorts, like a course that a young medical student or resident could take it. And it kind of gave them the foundations of a little bit of functional medicine, a little bit of diet, a little bit of nutrition, but mostly uncreative exercises that they could play with their own creativity. And then that just sort of launched into just speaking and going on a grassroots mission to inspire all our professionals to pick up their paintbrushes or their knitting needles or whatever makes them feel alive again. Absolutely. And this is very important for patients to realize, you know, most folks who go into medical school spend their very young earlier years, like the twenties, trying to achieve this end goal of getting into medical school. So they give up a lot. They sacrifice a lot to stay in the game and then become a physician. And a lot of times you want to have a physician having a life, right? And if your physician is constantly working, working, when you complain, like, you know, I, I, I call my doctor, I can't reach my doctor, I can't, don't get an email. People forget that the doctor is a human being. And I think all, we as a community have to not only, first of all, bring awareness to the physician that there's a different approach, and then also awareness to the patient that, you know, respect your physician, be, this is a 100% partnership for you to get good care choose the right kind of physician and have a good relationship with them. So I really like the fact that you help people before they get to be what we call attendings or practitioners, realize that there's a different way. So let me ask you this in, in your, something, um, yeah. you said something really good, Nisha is it's, we have distanced ourselves so much from our patient. Yeah. There's that's a great divide. You mentioned that it was a very good point you made that there's this loss of humanity, that we feel everything is transactional. Like we live in an instant gratification world. Like you yeah. order your thing on Amazon, you get it the next day. You do this, you do <laughs> that. 
And as a result, people do in the regular modern world is like, I emailed my doctor, I never heard back for, you know, days. And then I had to talk to their nurse, I had to talk to their MA. I had, and they're frustrated because we've, we've created this chasm of, of not understanding that's a human over there. And because of all these stock gates and all these mandates and all these things we have to do and all this requirement, we've lost that humanity. So yeah. actually pulling in closer is the, is the key because my patients now understand because my practice is lean and small and very high touch. It's very functional medicine. The boundaries are easy to say, Hey, I'm a human too. I'm going to go and live my life. And I think people want that. They want their physician to be a human. They know that they are, but we have to recreate that. And it's going to be harder. It won't even happen during our generation because the way our medicine yeah. is practiced now is just too too large, but at least planting those seeds of allowing physicians to reclaim their humanity and their creativity and say, I need a life. I, that's what makes me whole. And, and that's the first step. Absolutely. So having been a function of a traditionally trained osteopathic family practitioner to now, what does your practice look like now? And what should a patient look for in a practice? Um, something that's really wholesome that creates that 100% partnership where the physician puts in 100%, the patient puts in 100%, where not the dogmatic um, situation where the physician will tell you what to do and give you a pill and you have nothing to do about your own health. So we moved away from that. So what does that practice look like? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great segue in, in the fact that it's unfair for me to describe my practice now as ideal because it really self-selects those that are empowered. And, yeah. and this is where I do feel for my counterparts that are in family practice in a regular setting. You have to serve all, and I want to serve all people. But, you know, along that wheel of change, Pro Prochaska's wheel of change, you know, the pre-contemplative, the contemplative, the action-taking, yes. I mean, when you go to your family doctor, you, don't, you might just go there just for your regular checkup and suddenly find out you have something going wrong and you're not ready even to embrace that. It's very difficult. So to describe my practice now is a bit unfair because I get the cream of the crop. I get people that make it into my practice saying, I want to do something about it. So it's awesome because they're already there. They're like, I already feel this way. I need some help. And so they know that this is a partnership, like you said, instead of just coming in, it takes me a good hour to go through their stuff before I go through their case. I comb through details. I look at things with a different eye and it's like, it's like an investigation, like Dr. Sherlock Holmes, you know? So I'm looking through each detail and clue, trying to uncover what might've gone wrong and then we sit for an hour and we talk about their case and we talk about how things influence their body. So it's a very unique practice, like much like yours, that there's a lot of private time, but there's a lot yes. of dependence on them to take the lessons and to yep. play with this in their own sandbox. What works? What doesn't? How hard is it to adhere to a certain FODMAP food plan or whatever? And how, how easy was it to take your binder for your mold mycotoxin? I mean, there's all these little different things that are involved in a protocol. So when I meet in my groups every week, that's when they can come back and they, they share, you know, anything that's working or, or not. And, and our community members that are in this membership share with each other. So, you know, that helps speak to the isolation that we have, you know, our yeah. community. Is our communities are fragmented. And when you go to different cultures, you see how much more they have of a community and sharing. And we're so personalized here in America. We would never dare say that we're struggling or that we have a health problem. But when you invite people into a safe group, 
it's a magical thing because then they share with each other and they do feel empowered and then the healing happens much quicker. So that's kind of how different my day is. I mean, in my old day, I saw, oh gosh, I don't know, 22 patients a day, maybe um, quick, you know, hurry. Yeah. Let's go. Now I, I see, oh, maybe five a day. And I, you know, and it's not very much because I'm meeting with them in groups and I'm teaching them online. It's just a really different, it's like apples and oranges, you know, black and white. Absolutely. and color. That's what it's like. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's very important. You know, the, the antiquated way is seeing 10 hypertensive patients a day, one after the other and trying to just adjust their medications. And they all have hypertension for the rest of their life, which gets worse. Whereas in functional medicine, you actually get them together. They get to speak of different things that they're succeeding in. And you actually feed off each other in a very positive way. And I think that's one of the things that people forget. You know, They tell you, like, I don't want to be a part of a group. I want to be seen one-on-one. -on -one. And they don't realize they get more results Right. On a, in a community that's of like-minded right. people. You're right, because Nisha, it's like in a group, as you know, yeah. one person with hypertension, because I don't have hypertension, they can only speak from their perspective. They might, might pose a question that's really relevant to this group that I wouldn't have ever thought of. And yes. they might share something that helped them that could help another person. And that's what you see these connections. And that's where I think is the first step that conventional medicine could take is to start group visits with their yes. similarly diagnosed patient groups, because that would really be a change. And that would at least let them feel not alone and maybe learn something outside of those four walls of an exam room, because that pulls that physician from being the know-it-all know it. We don't know yes. everything. We're just there. Absolutely. And when you hear from your colleagues and your counterparts and your peers and your neighbors, like, Hey, there's a sale on low sodium something. And, you know, the yes, great. Right. Yes. You know, you just get that fun energy. Yeah. It's, it's it, the physician knows about the disease more than you do, but your health is 100%. You're the best doctor you can ever find. So as we get into that, I want to ask you this one question. What would you do different about medical training? Because this is not about physicians not having time. It's also the knowledge, right? And uh, where to emphasize our knowledge. We learned about how the body works, but we emphasized on how it doesn't work and how to fix it with a drug. You connect a dr disease to a drug. So where should that training change and how will that benefit patients? Yes, I have so many thoughts on medical training. I think that in medical training, it is important to know disease. Like you said, we, this is what sets us apart from some of our other health professionals. Doctors are in training a long time. We've held the hands of people in ICUs. We've intubated patients. We see the end result of untreated disease. We see acute disease. We've been in the ER. We've been on call. And sometimes when you have other health professionals that are in this sphere and space, they may not have that full knowledge of disease. And I really think that's an important thing to have because only when you have that appreciation for how bad things can get and how to recognize these signs, then you can build in this health component. So I really think that medical training should honor both sides. They should talk about disease, but start early on cultivating wellness in their physicians with upholding wellness and creativity and exercise and movement, allowing for out of the box 
thinking on how they're going to deliver their lectures. Maybe they do this where, you know, it's live streamed. They're allowed to do bicycling during their, it's something to keep them human, but also giving medical students and residents business skills, giving them options to have two majors in medical school, not just family practice, but maybe writing or journalism or something. I think we should plan for an inevitable career change because it's starting to become obvious that the doctors in those small country towns that have been practicing for 40 years in that little tiny office, that's a thing of the past. It is burning us out. People are leaving. People are saying, I now have no skill set." They do. They really do. They just don't know. And so they're feeling forlorn and lost and confused. And if we can prep our young doctors saying, you're going into a career that has a high burnout rate, that has high suicide. So let's prepare you with some business skills, with some other avenues that you could use these wonderful skills that you can in other ways. And I think that would really set expectations correctly so that we could reverse the trend of physician, you know, suicide and burnout. Absolutely. So having said that, I know your book is going to be a wealth of knowledge for both physicians and patients. What can people expect to get out of this book? Oh, this book, it is definitely written for anybody, even though it is a right brain rescue written by a physician. Do not let that deter you. It's an easy read. I've, I've had many re- readers now tell me how much they enjoyed reading the journey. It's a story. So if you like a good story that has near-death experience, that has snarky, sassy motherhood baked in there from the rural Midwest, and you can hear my struggle in the story. I go from talking about growing up around a funeral home to the first day of cadaver lab in medical school to what it feels like to be a physician on call, and then a very troubled and burned out mom of three in her career of her dreams and wondering what to do. So it has that transformation and reigniting of my own creative spirit. And then by the end, you learn some of the daily things I do and how to fuel mitochondria and why this is important. And then by the end, you're left with this feeling of hope that, you know, just because you might think you don't have the answer, you know where to look and coloring outside the lines is always something to strive for. Absolutely. I am so looking forward to reading it because I think it's not just doctors. If you look at careers of both men and women, at some point we all hit a ceiling where when you live that scripted life, right, going to work, getting a paycheck, sending your kids to school, running them to after school activities and living life like you don't know where you're running. You're running without a goal, with, without an end point. And every day this, there's a fire to put out. Can you live an, really an unscripted life with pretty much allowing your creativity and understanding that you have an inherent talent in you and you just bring it out to the open and live life in such a way that every day you're just gearing to go? rather than, you know, dreading those Monday mornings. And I think that's what we've all done, those of us who've switched over to functional medical practices. It's like, I, I just look forward to the next week. There's never been a day where I think, oh my God, Sunday's over. I'm like looking forward to Monday because I know my emails will start again. I do take a break on, um, on the weekends where I don't send my patients emails, but I love to get back because it's the education, it's the connection. So a book like yours is probably going to open 
um, eyes for both physicians and patients. Um, and I, I really am looking forward to it. Thank you so much for actually thank doing so this. Much for, yes, thank you for having me on. It is a it is a labor of love. I hope you enjoy it. And um, for everybody listening, just check it out. It's on Amazon. It's called Ripe Brain Rescue. It's available September 27th, this Sunday. Um, and I appreciate you so much, Dr. Nisha. You've really been an amazing friend and colleague in this sphere as well. Thank you so much. You're always an inspiration, Lara. Thank you.